0: Uh, Welcome again everyone who is joining us today. I'm, I'm so glad you're spending Easter with us. And this is different, right? It's Easter Sunday. It's the event that marks the celebratory end of our long Lenten journey. But the day's not playing out as any of us would have anticipated six weeks ago. When I gathered a group of us on Ash Wednesday, to mark the official beginning of the Lenten season, I imagined how we would emerge. We'd put on our Easter best. We would rally at Washington Elementary. We would welcome friends and neighbors to join us. The band would be kicking. The energy would be palpable as we celebrated the presence of Jesus in our midst. Afterwards, our kiddos would all pull out their Easter baskets. They would descend upon the lawn at Washington, you know, just desperate for treats to be found and little plastic eggs. While the grown-ups all brought out their favorite dishes to share, and we feasted together as a Haven community, celebrating the day with like a big family meal together. That is what I imagined today would be. That's what Easter has often been to me. A day that's no doubt super exhausting as a pastor, but also hugely fulfilling, as we celebrate all being together, to connect with each other and the good news of Jesus' resurrection. When I first started to understand that this COVID-19 pandemic was going to alter just the way we do life all together, and that includes the spiritual community, one of the things that hit me the hardest was the loss of that kind of Easter experience. It's hit me again this weekend, getting ready for today. I've, I've kind of fallen apart a couple of times because of course, it's not simply that we can't gather in person that makes this Easter feel really different. If it were just a matter of adjusting from an in-person gathering to a virtual gathering, that would be one thing, maybe challenging, but doable. We can still wear our Easter best, even if we're in our couches, and I celebrate all who are, and also the Easter pajamas are fine too. Uh, We can still sing our hearts out in worship, even if we can't hear each other, right? But perhaps the most challenging, dissonant part of this Easter celebration isn't actually the virtual nature of it, it's the truth of why we're here that's hardest to face. Life and death are on the line. This week has been the costliest yet in terms of human lives lost to the novel coronavirus. According to some of the models, today might be the national peak of deaths in this country in this wave of the pandemic. We feel the fear heightening with each news story with each trip to the grocery store, with each update we get that brings this international trauma ever closer, as one of us takes ill, as we find out someone we care about has. This is the deeper challenge to me of honoring Easter today. Good Friday intuitively made sense. The grief of Holy Saturday, where tradition honors those who were grieving the loss of the rabbi through a dark, painful Sabbath. That makes sense. Proclaiming victory over death with a joyful shout as if Easter were the happily ever after bow we put on the whole Jesus story. That feels a bit harder. Before this whole pandemic was underway, I met with a new group of leaders that you're gonna hear more about in in weeks to come. It's our new Haven teaching team. This year I've called forward a group of four different Haven leaders who I think have unique and important voices to speak into our community. And the four of them will be working with me uh, to discern together the conversations that we wanna be having as a community on Sundays and and to share some of the teaching duties. So as we met a few weeks ago, um, one of the themes that had emerged as the conversation we felt led to consider beginning this Sunday was the concept of hope, the theme of hope. We decided as a group that after the Girard series, we would take the community into a conversation around hope and we had no idea what was coming or how resonant that conversation might be. So what does hope actually look like in this moment? It's a word that I've seen different people reach for in different ways in recent weeks. Sometimes I get the sense that folks talk about hope as a way of like not facing the pain of the moment. They seem to want to like minimize or just glaze over the difficulty of what we're dealing with here. Sure, yes, this is hard, but let's be hopeful. Let's look at the bright side. Let's believe we can get through this quickly and come back stronger than ever. Is that the hope? the divine is inviting us into now? Others, often people of faith, talk about hope in like this really triumphant, even defiant kind of way. I don't need to be afraid, they might say. My hope is in Jesus. And no doubt, there are many gathering physically today, in person, this Easter Sunday, across the world, Saying, perhaps, we are covered in the blood of the lamb. We don't need to fear the coronavirus. That is our hope. Is that the hope the divine is inviting us into? What does hope look like that doesn't minimize our circumstances or downright try to deny and defy them? Where might that hope be rooted? How might it function in our lives and the lives of those we're connected to in these times of immense challenge? These are some of the questions we're gonna be exploring in the weeks to come in this new series we're calling Resurrecting Hope. And as the name of the series denotes, perhaps, perhaps a key to the hope that is needed in this time of crisis lies in our understanding of what tradition has called resurrection because resurrection is actually not the happily ever after that many of our privileged, I would say consumeristic Easter experiences might have led us to believe. When we really pay attention to how the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus actually played out, it was not nearly so simple as I think our narratives tend to make it. Perhaps, this unique Easter in the midst of grief and isolation and fear and international crisis, perhaps this actually gives us an opportunity to enter into something more akin to what the earliest followers of Jesus experienced themselves than our traditional celebrations have allowed. Perhaps there with a deeper knowledge of resurrection, we can find answers around what it means to experience the hope of God's presence with us in a dark time. So with a fresh curiosity around how resurrection might make itself known to us today and in this season to come, I invite you to look with me at a resurrection story found in the Gospel of John. We're gonna pick up the story after Mary Magdalene Peter and John have all gone to the tomb and found it empty. No one understands what has taken place. They are mystified. And that's where we're going to pick things up in verse 10. So the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent down and looked into the tomb And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Mary replied, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And when she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Because she thought he was the gardener She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Jesus replied, do not touch me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what Jesus had said to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here we have John's account of Jesus's return is resurrection. It's a story that perhaps we've heard many times before, but I wanna invite you to consider afresh as we ponder together how these events that John describes might resonate in a different way for us this year in the midst of everything we're experiencing. So I'm just gonna share a few things I noticed about what resurrection is, how it functions, what it seems to do. And to the gather, we'll consider if those that might illuminate the hope that we long to see resurrected among us right now. So the first thing I want to consider from this story is that resurrection surprises. Resurrection surprises. Easter Sunday doesn't play out in the way that any of Jesus' followers anticipated. His closest friends, they were already in total shock and disorientation from the week they had just gone through, okay? A week ago, they thought they were coming into their own as their rabbi, their hero, their friend, triumphantly rode into Jerusalem. This is victory day. But by Friday, things had turned dramatically as they saw this same hero carted off by his rivals. Mary and the other women stayed there till the bitter end, watching his brutalized body hang while he breathed his last. Then they spent their Sabbath in suspended animation, like reeling in the shock of what had taken place, paralyzed by the sting of sudden unanticipated grief, riddled with the fear that their own connection to Jesus could also put them in danger. This is the state Mary's in when she encounters an empty tomb. Here is now another unexpected turn of events. Just as she's beginning to wrap her mind around the death she could hardly have conceived of a week ago. Just as she's beginning to come to terms with finding some closure, comes to wrap the body so she can accept what has happened, he is gone. Now here is another trauma, his body the last thing she had to hold on to and say goodbye, it's disappeared. Mary is so distressed, so out of sorts, she doesn't even react as if anything weird is happening at all when two angels show up in front of her, right? And when she finds herself face to face with the risen Jesus himself, it is so different than her expectations. So outside of her paradigm, she can't even recognize him. It isn't until he says her name, Mary, that she registers what's happening. It isn't until that moment she understands something truly beautiful is transpiring. So no, this isn't the Easter any of us anticipated six weeks ago. We have been through one disorienting moment after another. In recent weeks, our systems might feel numb from all the change we've had to absorb cuz I don't know about you but for me personally that's what's been one of the hardest challenges of these last few weeks is just the sheer number of pivots we've had to do. First it was all the pivots related to things shutting down. Events we were looking forward to in our family just canceled one after another, gone, gone, gone. Then there's the pivot from everyone being out of the house regularly to us all being home together and no one else present at all. That's a pivot the pivot to all of our connections outside the home, education, church, all of it now taking place virtually. And this week, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. It was the first week that Berkeley schools tried to do actual distance learning, and coordinating all three of my kids, having access to the various tech they needed at different times, making all of their appointments, printing all the assignments for them, managing all the communication coming from a whole bunch of different channels with teachers and parents. It was just too much. It was too much. By Tuesday, I found myself just falling apart, bursting into tears multiple times. And it wasn't because any one particular grievous thing had happened that day, but just because the impact of all of this disruption and disorientation hit me at once and I just cracked. I couldn't hold it together anymore. But here's the interesting thing about seasons of tumult and upheaval like this. They also make space for things that are truly new to happen not only the stressful and grievous, which is happening, but also potentially the beautiful. I think for many of us adults, we get to a point in life where there's like no novelty anymore, nothing new under the sun. And though life might be predictable, we don't have to struggle with disorientation on a daily basis, it's also limiting change becomes very difficult when we lose our imagination for what is even possible. With all the grief and stress and disruption over the past month, few weeks, there's also been beautiful moments of novelty, moments of revelation around the globe. I'll just name one. The biosphere has been responding to our economic shutdown. Right? Skies have cleared. Mountains have become visible. Wildlife has returned to places it had been forced out. For decades, many have shut down conversations about climate change because they had no imagination for another way of us functioning. Now, at the mercy of a virus, our collective imagination is being stirred as we see measurable impacts quickly from just simply hitting pause for a month. Will this revelation actually empower change when all of this is over? Or will we simply return to business as usual? It's too soon to say. But the answer to that question, I think, along with many others about the surprising side effects of all of this disruption, I think it's connected to our capacity to receive the surprising and move, like Mary did, from fear and distress to also identifying the beautiful that is hidden in the surprise. The beauty in resurrection. Before I go on, I just want to throw out a question. If any of you, I've shared an example of a surprising beauty in this experience. But if anyone else comes, another example comes to mind, feel free to share it in the chat window for a moment. Any thoughts of something surprising and beautiful that you've seen go down over the last few weeks? Hmm, yeah. That's good, Joanna says sweet time with partner, board games, cooking together, spring looking more vibrantly colorful. We have the space to notice it, right? Mm -hmm. Beauty of nature, yes. Yeah, feel free to keep those coming if you want um, or to use the chat to respond in other ways as well. I might not see it now, but, um, but you're welcome to kind of connect that way as we continue. Thank you, yes. Connection with neighbors over fences, love that. Mm -hmm. So resurrection surprises. The second thing I wanna recognize about resurrection from our story is the way that resurrection unfolds. Okay, The transformation at work doesn't happen all at once. There's like a process at work. Jesus is resurrecting throughout the story. When he first appears, he tells Mary, not to touch him. He has to ascend to his father, he says. It's, it's clear that whatever like cosmic new realities are playing out, they're still in process. Something is different than it was yesterday, to be sure, but it isn't fully where it's going to be in the future either. According to John, a week later, after the incidences we looked at today, you know, as you, as you read forward in the story, a week later, Jesus comes again, and this time he invites Thomas, who, who had missed the first encounter, to touch his wounds. So clearly something is different at that point than it was first, that first Easter morning. Resurrection has been unfolding. Truthfully, I think many of us don't like to be in process, right? Right? We want to fast forward to the part where everything has now arrived at some new level of complete a normal whatever that is and that to me has been another interesting revelation from this whole process we've been living through recently watching people at every level wrestle with being in process i saw this play out in one clear way this week as a group of parents from one of my kids classes was was kind of trying to deal with the information that after only two days of formal distance learning, uh, the district administrators asked for a pause on all live Zoom classes, because a couple of incidents has happened in those first days of security being breached and students being exposed to inappropriate content in their classes. So they shut things down for the moment while they figured it out, and some of the parents in my children's class were livid. Railing against the administrators and their inability to get their act together. The implication, of course, is that our administrators and educators should have known how to pivot their entire system to an online education experience for students all the way from TK to 12th grade, just like on a dime. They should have fully understood, stood all the software, been fully aware of any potential vulnerabilities, done all their due diligence to know what choices to make and do it all quickly. It's not a fair expectation. But I understand. We don't like being in the messy unfolding. We want things to have arrived. Perhaps there are new idols being revealed in all of this as our communities wrestle with being publicly in process, like idols of maybe self-sufficiency, the idol of expertise. I resonate with those. Okay, I'll be real. This whole change to being an internet preacher is not something I ever wanted to do. Folks have been urging me to go online, to start a YouTube channel, uh, to put video sermons up, to create other video content people could share and digest for a while. And I've been like, oh, we'll get there. But I've been reluctant to like, fully make it happen. It's a new skill set to cultivate. And I, I personally like to have time to prepare, to rehearse, away from the public eye, Before I present a skill set in front of others, let alone the world via YouTube, hello. Um, Some of you are familiar with the personality indicator, the Enneagram. The Enneagram classifies people into one of nine main types who function in different ways. And by that typology, I'm what's called a three. The descriptor for this type is usually the performer or the achiever. And threes tend to have a high standard of excellence for like what they put forward into the world. And much of this is reliant on their kind of capacity to read others and um, discern what others need from them at any given time. Uh, And so in my ideal world, I wouldn't have started sharing videos online until I'd had the opportunity to practice, to troubleshoot, to watch myself, and then to like do it all with a focus group and get lots of feedback. Okay. And I was planning on kind of doing all of that, like on the side this year, slowly, as, as something I was cultivating, you know, aside from my real work, which is creating content for a group of people in a room together. Uh, and so here we are, not in the ideal world. No, all of a sudden, this side work, this project I was going to cultivate whenever I had space, has become my real work, right? to do the core things I feel called to in the world, to cultivate community, to nurture folks in their spiritual journeys, I need to let go of my own idol of expertise. I need to embrace being in process, being imperfect, being imperfect in public, without everything figured out, but also perhaps believing that maybe there's something sacred sometimes to like showing our work, to letting the process be seen as it is. Maybe there's something sacred in that. To recognize that perhaps the most beautiful and important acts of grace are not ones that happen all in an instant, or at that particular moment where everything is now presentable. They unfold over time like falling in love, like becoming a parent, like taking a journey of faith. These things don't happen in a moment. They unfold and resurrection also unfolds. And that brings me to the third thing I see from John's resurrection account, that also resurrection transforms. It happens by surprise and it doesn't happen all at once, but resurrection does bring transformation. Sometimes we might think that the answer is to just go back to how things were. If only this horrible reality hadn't happened. If we could only go back before cancer, miscarriage, coronavirus, the cross, But resurrection is not resuscitation. It is not a return to the way things were before the horrible change came. That's what we saw with Lazarus. He died and then Jesus called him out of the grave days later. But what came out was basically the same as what had gone in, right? It was a resuscitation, a miraculous one to be sure long after probably a modern doctor with all of their resuscitating equipment would say it was possible. But the body was the same, had the same basic composition. It was still mortal. It's still aged. And again, eventually Lazarus would die once and for all. That's resuscitation. Resurrection is something different. It doesn't take away the trauma as if it never happened. It transforms the trauma. It redeems it. Jesus' body has been transformed. He has some sort of physical form, we see, but it's a very different kind of body than he had before the cross. This body can suddenly appear in a room. This body is similar but also different. It might be hard to recognize, as is the case with Mary. This body carries the marks of trauma. There are scars, there are wounds on it but they've been redeemed. They're no longer testimonies to the unyielding power of hatred and scapegoating violence. They are now testimonies to the unrestrainable glory of the divine who can turn even what was meant for harm and death into beauty and life. The trauma is still real. It won't be undone. Things will never go back to the way they were. Jesus won't be present with his friends in the way he was. John can't lean on him at the table anymore. They're not gonna share the same kind of laughs over glasses of wine. They're not gonna have those long talks on the road as they walk from city to city. They're, They're not gonna see him lay hands on folks and bring back their eyesight their friend as they have known him before, he is no longer. But this transformation brings something new, a new way of knowing him. He has moved now from Jesus, friend Jesus, to Lord Jesus. He has moved from being limited in his presence by the confines of of a human body to being expansive in his presence in some new resurrected state of being. And this unfolding transformation ultimately has an impact on Jesus' friends and followers too. The text at the end says Jesus breathed on them, breathed on his followers. And the word in Greek that's used is anephousison, anephousison. It's used only two other places in the whole Bible. And they both come from the Greek translation of, of the Hebrew Bible. And the first is in Genesis 2. This is the word used to describe the creator breathing life into that first created human being. And then later in Ezekiel, the prophet had a picture of a valley of dry bones that the creator wanted to breathe new life into and see them come alive. And now here, Jesus, the glorified resurrected one is doing that work to those who gathered with him. He is breathing new life into them. They are becoming a part of a new creation for which he was the first sign, but not the last. Just a few chapters before in John was what we saw last week. He promised them that after going away, he would send them an advocate to live with them a spirit of truth to fill them and empower them. And now here he is delivering on the promise, breathing the breath of the divine into his followers, transforming them and giving them the capacity to do the advocacy work he had been sent for, to stand up to the voice of the accuser in their midst and bring freedom and life and redemption to the world. Amen, amen. In this moment, Jesus' resurrection body is more fully transformed into what it is meant to be. No longer is his body limited by time and space in a singular presence. His body is now in the community that the divine spirit has just been breathed into. They are now the body of Christ. We are now the body of Christ. The truth is that what we are experiencing now, this is something that will change us. As much as part of me wants to just go back to how it all was, I don't believe that's the journey we're on. I don't think this is about resuscitation. I think this is a journey of resurrection. And that makes, means making space for the transformation the divine wants to bring. I'm going to end with a story. Many of you know my good friend Abby. She's been through quite a journey over the last year and a half. It was Christmas Eve night 2018 when I first got the text confirming our worst fear. I just got the results of the biopsy she said in the text it's leukemia they want me to come in and start treatment right away coming in for treatment right away wasn't exactly convenient abby had just arrived in the caribbean on what was supposed to be a holiday gift from her mother-in-law who was taking the whole family there for christmas she got the news while she was going through customs in the airport two days later Abby would be back at the airport preparing to board a flight on her own. While the rest of her family, including her husband and three young kids stayed in the Caribbean to finish their vacation. She was sicker than she'd ever been in her life and understandably scared As she was wheeled toward the plane in a wheelchair, Kaiser called her again and said, actually, when you get here, we're admitting you to the hospital immediately. We're not messing around with outpatient. We're bringing you in. That's how dire things were. There in her wheelchair, preparing to board the plane, Abby began to fall apart. And a flight attendant came to her and asked what was wrong. I'm sick was all she could muster. At that moment, the flight attendant looked at her and said, I'm not only a flight attendant, I'm a pastor too. And my daughter just rang the bell on her final chemotherapy treatment for breast cancer. So after I help get everyone on board, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pray for you. The woman was true to her word. Not long after Abby took her seat the pastor slash flight attendant was at her side, laying her hands on her and praying. And then she whispered in her ear, quoting a verse from Psalm 118. God says, you will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. It was as if an angel had walked onto the plane right when Abby needed it. And perhaps one had. Those words carried Abby through her whole long, lonely flight home, where she could feel her vision blurring and her body shutting down. The words carried her as she was admitted to the hospital to begin treatment while her family was on a beach thousands of miles away. They carried her through many, many long months of chemo, through multiple hospitalizations. And when she thought the healing journey was over and remission secured, they carried her when the doctor said leukemia was still present. And now her last hope was a stem cell transplant. The transplant was not a trivial thing. It would require a donor match, which for a mixed race woman in particular can be difficult to secure. It would mean moving for three months from Berkeley to the South Bay once again, leaving her husband and kids so she could be close to Stanford where treatment would take place. It would mean a total stripping down of her immune system with the hope that it could be rebuilt altogether with the stem cells of her brother. It would mean being remade from the inside. There were no guarantees. It was certain to be a journey that would take Abby to the end of herself, and it did. But throughout the long journey, again and again, the divine showed up in surprising ways to remind Abby that healing and transformation were unfolding in her. I got to be a part of some of those moments, worshiping and praying in her hospital room, processing the journey on our walks through the neighborhood on the night before she left for stanford i was privileged to help gather women around her from many sectors of her life to witness her descent and call forth her healing to speak again to her those words of hope that she would live and declare the works of the lord a few weeks ago The day before we got the news that schools were closing and everything needed to shut down, I saw Abby for the last time in person uh, before we were all sheltering in place. And we were on a walk together trying to help her rebuild her strength about three months after her transplant. And on our walk, she shared the news. The doctors just shared the latest biopsy results. There's no more leukemia. They say I'm now officially a survivor. Hearing those words brought tears to my eyes. This has been such an unexpected journey. It has been such a long fight, but transformation has now taken place in my friend's body. After announcing her survivorship status, Abby showed me an interesting sign of how transformation is manifesting in her. Her face and neck were spotted with tiny little bumps. I have newborn acne, she said. And she was right. Anyone who's parented babies knows these bumps, right? Your beautiful newborn starts sporting them all around their face at a couple months old. And though they might seem like a blemish in those cute pictures, They're actually a sign of your developing immune system. They are a sign you are growing strong. Abby is a woman in her 30s with newborn acne because her immune system has been reborn. She truly is being resurrected. (sighs) Perhaps this kind of hope The hope that sustained and has been at work resurrecting my friend for the last year and a half. Perhaps this is the kind of hope we need collectively this year and in the days and weeks and months to come. The hope that speaks to our entire community that in spite of it all, we will indeed live on, infused by the breath of the divine, and we too will declare the works of the Lord. Amen. This is not a hope that denies reality. It's not a hope that runs from the trauma. But perhaps this hope, this resurrecting hope, can open us up to the possibility that when our routines are disrupted, when our idols are stripped away, when our pain is acknowledged for what it is, there just might also be space for the divine to surprise us and to unfold among us true life-giving transformation. May it be. Amen.